So um, I'm thinking to analyze um, the three times that the Torah commands us to have love. We said number one, Leviticus 19, you have to love uh, to love every, every person. We have an additional mitzvah to love a convert. Means if someone converts to Judaism, well, they feel a little out of place. They didn't grow up with it. You know, they feel you have an extra mitzvah to love them. And we also have a mitzvah to love God, right? And I want to think if we could draw something from each one of these three loves: love your fellow, love love a different person, love a love a uh, love a, a convert, and to love God. That would maybe together collectively will build us somewhat of a framework that we could use uh, as a repeatable in a repeatable fashion, and will which will uh, to achieve love, but also will tell us what love actually is. So let's start. Which one should we start with? Which one should we start with? You guys tell me. Love of God, love of the convert, love of of, of your fellow. Well, we've been talking about love of your fellow. So, so let's start with love. Sure what, what do you what do you say? interested in the convert. I've really never heard that. I mean, Ooh. I've always known that, that, you know... Yeah, but people always say that we don't accept and, right. and stuff, and so that, they didn't... It blows that right out of right. the water. Exactly. And that's, you know, they're, at times they are treated differently. Let's say, I mean, you know, so that's why I'm interested in that one. I, mean, I don't care. But remember, when the Torah gives us commandments, the Torah is also, also going to tell us how to do it. Which is, remember, if the target says to love someone, you might say, oh, wait a minute, I, how do you how do you command an emotion, right? How can you tell me to love something that I don't like it? Or I don't, you know, it's an emotion. You could command me to eat, eat matzah or, you know, to keep shops. Those are actions which I know what to do, you know. How would the Torah give us? So I think that in each one of these three things, we find instructions. So let's start with love of a fellow. We find, in the book of Genesis, we find uh, in the parshas called Chayesara, and it's somewhat of an anomaly in Genesis because it's a very short parsha. Genesis is like every parsha is huge. And then Yechai Sarah, which is basically like a story and a half. And that story is a story of Isaac meeting Rebecca. Now, Rebecca was a stunning woman. How do we know that? The Torah tells us that she was just a knockout. Straight tens, Right? She was just, she was, she was gorgeous, right? The Torah also tells us that when her, when Abraham's slave, Eliezer, he went, he saw her character as well. So what did he do? He brought, it was a whole story. He had to negotiate with her parents, the whole story. Negotiate with the parents. He brings her back to Israel, right? Because Isaac wasn't allowed to leave Israel. They were out east. He brings her back to Israel. She sees Isaac. She falls off the camel. Romance, romance. <laughs> she's stunning gorgeous, right? We said she's stunning gorgeous. They get married. He brings her to the tent, it says. And then he says, and he loves her. We see it the first time people fall in love. Now, one thing we find out, he obviously saw her beforehand, right? And he obviously saw that she was really, really good looking, that's not where the Torah says, oh, you saw she was so stunning, and, then, and boom, love happened. Obviously, it happened afterwards. He brought her to, he saw her, he got married, right? He brought her to the, to the house, to, to the tent, and then he loved her. What happened in this tent? So Rashi tells us, what, did, what happened is that uh, it used to be when Sarah was alive, and she lit candles on Friday night. For Shabbos, the candles would last from one Friday night to the other Friday night. It was a miracle. She was such a special woman, and it just lasted every week. It lasted for you know for for a whole week, like Hanukkah every week. Right? And when she died, it stopped. And there were a bunch of other things that happened because of Sarah. She was such a righteous, righteous woman. She paralleled Abraham in 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 uh, in prophecy. Uh, Abraham was. Uh, Instructed by God to follow her advice because she's just she has more, she you know she's better at giving advice than you. you know. Wonderful woman, right? all the qualities in the world. She had these miracles. 
So Rashi tells us that when it means that Rebecca went into the to the to the tent, it means that all those miracles that happened to Sarah, and then stop when Sarah died, started happening again when Rebecca moved in. And then it says, and Isaac loved her. What can we draw? When Isaac recognized the qualities, the characteristic, the midot, the wonderful, wonderful, admirable traits of his wife, then he loved her. When he empathized with her because he 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 felt her qualities. So he felt like he's part of her. Like he noticed her characteristics. He loved her. In the words of one of the uh, leaders in the uh, of of the the movement in Israel, in the United States, the, uh, uh, the the head of Asia Torah, the founder of Asia Torah, which is like a yeshiva and an outreach organization, like the, the biggest outreach organization in the world. He said, "Love is when." You identify the qualities of someone else. You examine the quality. You notice the good characteristics that person has and you identify them with that characteristics. That's what love is. And everyone's saying, well, where does Robert Weinberg make that up from? That's a very strange characterization of love. To notice what someone else is going through. To pay attention to someone else. To notice their qualities. That's love. Where does he get it from? Well, now we have a source. Isaac brings her back into the house. What does that mean? He sees what's what, what's happening. He sees all these miracles are happening. This, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is a wonderful woman. And he spends time analyzing her character, her qualities. He delves into that. He notices what's good about her. And he loves her. Booyah. If so, perhaps we could say that yes, there is a repeatable formula with which we could use to achieve to love and to love anyone. And that is, as we are well aware, this is a Musar class, we are well aware that every person is a collection of good and bad character. So when I look at someone else, I can either look at that person's good character, I can look at the person's bad character. I can look maybe at a mixture. How do I identify the person? I can either identify them as a good with uh, with their good characteristics, their bad characteristics, or maybe or maybe a mixture. Perhaps, if I identify them with their good characteristics, and that's what I analyze, and that's what I dwell upon, I'll love them. And you know what? As Rabbi Wolby said, every person has good and bad character. Hence, there's something to love. But every person. Hence, what the Torah is commanding us, to love every person, the Torah is saying that every person has something good within them. That if you dwell upon, if you analyze, if you, if, if you think about them in that light, this person could be a very kind person, this person could be patient, this person could be uh, energetic, this person didn't, doesn't get angry, this person is very humble, this person is very generous. Everyone has something good about them. Everyone. You gotta find, if you wanna love someone, you have to find what it is that's good about them. Identify that person with those virtues. Voila, you love them. On the other hand, you have to make sure that you don't go out of your way to find their negative characteristics. Because if so, I know, I personally know someone who always picks out someone else, some other people's negative characteristics. Those things, he just said, oh, this person has oh, this negative characteristic. And this person has oh, this negative characteristic. And that person, oh, I can find something better than they do also. So they don't love anyone. And there are other people who are able to say, well, what well, is this wonderful quality? And that person has that wonderful quality. And they're always finding the good in someone else. And they love everyone. Because in their eyes, how do they view people? How do they associate them? What, with what characteristics do they identify them with? A good character. Hence, it's not so outrageous that the Torah tells us to love everyone. What the Torah is really telling us is to make sure the way we uh, connect with other people, the way we associate with other people, right, the way we analyze other people is always in the positive light, looking for the good in them. And while not 
turning a blind eye to the bad, but not dwelling upon it. Because the second you dwell upon it, the second you say, oh, this person has this quality, let's label them as this is an angry person, you'll never love them. Do the opposite. Label them with their good quality, you'll find a way to love them. I thought when you said that, um, the saying that immediately, <coughs> on seeing somebody, you love them, but what you're saying is you got to get to know somebody to know they're good and they're, they're good character. Who says that's to be immediate? Well, it's it's every, like that's every right. person, every person that you get to know, you can find a way to love them. Why? Because every person that you get to know has, for sure, by definition, them being human has good qualities. Or your only job is to make sure that you don't go out looking for their bad qualities and don't label them with their bad qualities, don't associate them or identify them with their negative characteristics. In fact, do the opposite. Associate, seek out their good, dwell upon that, and then you love them. What if they have more bad than good? Well, then you'll... What if... What if, if, if I, 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 I know... We all know about ourselves. I know about myself. I think I have more bad than good. So I still love myself because I, I still identify myself with the good. Parents. Parents love their kids. Kids sometimes are brats. I tell you, kids are brats. Why do parents love them? Because parents see the good. They see the potential. They know they, they see the qualities. They identify the qualities. But what do you mean? My kid today took magic marker all over the floor, everywhere. I said, shush, shush, don't do that. See? Just sneeze it on calling a paper. It's all over the floor. They make messes all the time. These kids are full of negative character. I'm thirsty, middle of the night, but I'm sleeping. Go get yourself a drink. No, 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 I'm thirsty. I'll scream and scream and scream until I get a drink. That's a terrible characteristic. What a brat! If it was your kid, I would say he's a brat, but it's my kid, and the Almighty implanted in parents the ability to see the good in their, in their children. And that's why we love our children. Because parents naturally... Huh? Well, we don't, we don't, we, we don't do it consciously. We don't... Yeah, Whatever but she's gonna do in, in her but because the Almighty understood that if we treat our children the way we treat other people, most kids would die of starvation <laughs> because their parent will say, why am I taking care of this disgusting brat who does not make in a toilet? Why would I change so many dirty diapers for the kid who eats like a mess, makes messes everywhere, is nothing but a drain economically, emotionally, everything. What The Almighty made it, if you were to just logically analyze children, you'll see these kids are almost devoid of good qualities. Oh, really? <laughs> they're, they're the most selfish people on the planet. They are. It's the most selfish people on the planet. They don't care about anyone else. Okay, as a grandmother. <laughs> okay, as a grandmother. The point is that the Almighty, in His infinite wisdom, understood that if parents used logic with their kids, then the world wouldn't wouldn't continue. Because parents will say, "This is ridiculous. Why am I putting so much effort?" This brat. But the Almighty just made the parents go blind, and all they see is good. And even the kid just scribbles on the floor and makes a mess and, and eats like a schlob and and just cute. Right? Yeah, you know, the cutest thing in the world, right? Parents just see the good, right? If you're able to see, so yeah, kids have more more negative character, and, and and as someone who has lots of negative character, your job is harder, but it's still possible. Why? Because if you analyze that person, and say this person has good qualities, I'm gonna seek them out, I'm gonna find them. You're fulfilling the mitzvah of Hatara Kamacha, love it, your neighbor as yourself, uh-huh. and that's what happened. That's what that, that we can follow the example of of uh, of Isaac, as we see, he loved her as a result of seeing her qualities. What about what about loving a convert? What does the Torah tell us about a convert? You should love your con- the converts. Keep an eye on check, check, check her out. She there? She's still there? <laughs> She's special, my daughter. She has, she has no name. Whatever. I, I, have, I have three sons and one daughter. Oh, and I'm totally oh. partial to the daughter. I just, yeah. She, yeah she has me wrapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know it, and I kind of like it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Love the convert. 
Why should I love the convert? The Torah adds a few more words. The Torah says, love the convert because you yourself were an alien in a foreign nation. Right? You guys were all in Egypt. Right? And you know what he what, what he experienced. You know the pain of being the odd man out, being the only person who's different. Right? This guy, he's alone. This guy or girl or family, whatever, they're new here. They feel like outsiders. You know what it's like. Make sure you make, make sure. Make sure that you treat them well and you love them. What's the Torah doing? Let's analyze it. Torah is saying, I should take my own experiences of being an outsider and apply that to someone else. What the Torah is telling me, I should figure out what someone else is going through. I went through that as well. She's It's okay for her cough. It's healthy. It's normal. How are we doing out there? It's more than once, but where's one of the places in the Torah where it says, because you were a stranger in the land of Egypt? I, I, don't, I, don't, really, I don't remember what that verse is. We can it's, Google it and find them. It's, it's more than one place. The Torah is telling me, another way, how do, I love, how do I love someone? I have to find, I have to feel what that person's feeling. I have to identify with the person. I have to empathize with that person. Feel what they're going through. Once again, it's kind of me taking that person and making them either because of their good qualities or because of what their their challenges. And if I suffer with someone else's suffering, if I empathize with someone else, I'll care about that. If I invest myself in someone else's pain, that person's pain will bother me. Why? Because that's just the way it works. If you care about something, if you invest into something, you'll care about it and you'll love it. You work on a project. You see people sometimes who work on a project, and it's you know not exactly the project that's going to save the world. You know, it could be a, a writing a I don't know writing a book or an article, or it could be I don't know working on a project or building something or something which is yeah, it's a nice thing. But because they invested time and energy and effort and love into it, they care about it so much more. Like you know when kids build a build a little thing out of Lego, right? They're so proud of it. They're so happy. Okay, it's not really changing the world. It's not. If you were to destroy that, just take it and break it, because it'll go crazy, ballistic. What do you care? It's a piece of Lego. They invested in it. You invest into something, you care for it, you love it. So what's telling us? We have to emotionally invest in other people. You want to love someone else? Emotionally invest into them. What's that person going through? What challenges are they experiencing? Was I ever in a situation where they're in? They're, not, they're a stranger. I was once a stranger in, in a, our final place of land. I once felt like, like uncomfortable, awkward because I was a one man out. The Torah is teaching us a repeatable process that I could do to love someone. And what's that? We have one. Notice their qualities. Like Isaac, who noticed the qualities of Rebecca. And there he loved her. Or two, to try to figure out what another person is going through. If I take the time and the effort and the emotional energy to ask myself, this person is going through something. And everyone's going through something. They're going through something. How can I help them? How, how can I just care for them, feel for them? How can I feel their pain? Or their joy. But that experience of someone trying to put themselves in someone else's shoes, that experience is what that's going to enable us to love other people. Because you, if you care about something, you invest into it, right? you, you, you spend effort and time and energy into something, you'll care about the person, you'll, you'll love that person. Say so you go for all of that effort and that other person says, get away from me. I can't stand you. I mean, it's not reciprocal. Okay, so, so yeah, remember, these are two different strategies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there might be someone who's not downtrodden, who's, who's not the odd man out. And that person, well, you'll have, you might have to use the first process, but this is it's a different process. I agree it's a different process. Uh, but some people, like the outsider, he needs someone, he needs someone, 
he needs someone to you know to have his back. He needs he needs someone to say it's okay. Let me show you around, right? You you like the nutrient school, the nutrient school, or the new person who who comes to the class and doesn't know everyone, and everyone's like cracking judgment. So you have sure you've had it here that everyone here has been. He has been coming to the Muslim class for four years, and some new person walks in. Oh, I found this place online, and they're like they're sitting like this, you know. And you have to say, look, come in, how you doing? Well, this is this guy, and this is that guy, and the, the, this, these are the butch, and this is the rabbi, and this is the, what's going on, how you doing, can you get some water? Like, that kind, you know, some people need that, because they're downtrodden, or, or the, either the outside, or, or whatever. And that's one way for you, as someone who is different, a different person, you want to care about that person, we love the person, Try to empathize with them. Put yourself in their shoes. You were once like that as well. How can I help them? What What of my experience can I draw from to you know to try to empathize and care? And that process alone will make you make me love them. Or if that person is not uh, doesn't need your doesn't need your help and your love. And by the way, everyone needs love, and everyone needs someone a friend that they can count on. And everyone's going through something at every point in their time. Everyone. So this, uh, this is a, this a myth to say that some people, oh, there's people that got it all, everything's, everything's working well, no problems, no health, no emotional, no financial, no, nothing. Everything's fine, those people don't exist. But even if someone doesn't, you know, that's not, that's a different angle. You can use that angle, you can use the other angle. Rabbi, I said I never heard that about converts, but I've always had the greatest respect for anybody that comes into our religion because they take on a lot of mm-hmm. aggravation and they always know more than everybody. I mean, I've, uh, you know, to me, it's never so been a problem. I think it's great. So. so what about the Jews who converted to any other religion? Well, that's their problem. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it was time that I was a Roman Catholic from the religious uh, uh, yeah, but from the Jew, the Jewish perspective, you you know, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a line. Someone once had a line. I heard this, but uh, a Jew could uh, a Jew could be baptized a hundred times. I heard that line. A Jew could be baptized a hundred times. They might get wet, but they're still Jewish. Uh, that's a joke. I was not officially baptized. Yeah. I was going to church. Did anybody see the movie? I think it was last week. The Courageous yeah. Heart of Irina Sendler. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. She saved 2,500 kids, and mm-hmm. she never know, got the, you know, the big the publicity. It was a, she's not actually Raul Wallenberg. Nice. Raul Wallenberg got the streets named after him. Right. He got lots she, of streets named did. after him. She was yeah. amazing. But and a lot of those kids... It's approved you're a Jew for a Jew because he proved that if you had any Jewish blood, you were Jew. So if you did anything, if you talk to one, you're in trouble. So no, but I mean, you know, it was you're a Jew. It was so hard to explain to some of my Christian friends that being born Jewish is not. Like they accept, well, today I'm Baptist, tomorrow I'm Yeah, yeah. Which is why, which is why there's always been this discussion and like uh, these philosophical, esoteric, academic discussions. Well, what is Judaism? It's not, is it a religion? Is it a nation? Is it a race? Is it a creed? Is it, right, right, right. You know? Yeah, well, it's it's it, but it's it's biological on one hand. On the other hand, it's also ideological. So you know, we say, well, you know, how does the Torah define Judaism, the Jewish nation? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, that's the Jewish people in their best. We're a kingdom of priests. A whole kingdom, and everyone's a priest. Everyone's a respected person, and you know, you know, it doesn't mean necessarily everyone's a priest. All of all, right? What it means is that everyone is a priest, right? Remember, the Torah was written before those kind of people were around. There. It means it means it means uh, a, a, a kingdom of everyone being respect, respected, uh, everyone being top of the line. There's no, you know, there's just, you know, there aren't those Jews who just take it easy in life and just try, you know, eh, whatever, yeah. Uh, and and a holy nation, 
Holy meaning distinct. Holy means special. Holy, holy meaning unique. Holy meaning that we're going to be the ones who are going to change the world. So it's kind of a mix. Is it the, you know, is it a nation? Is it something that which part of this 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 fraternity, this kingdom, so to speak? But it's it's both. It's both. Yeah, it's both. When I was in Israel, the guy said we were driving through somewhere where Jesus had done something, and he said, "Don't kid yourself, folks. He was born one, he lived one, he died one." And everybody was screaming and applauding. And he said, "You know, you hear a lot of stuff, but that's this is about a month." Yeah, that's true. Okay, where were we? So we found number one definitions. Definition, well, definitions of love from the story of Isaac, which is recognizing someone else's character, the good character, identifying that with that character, and hence a way to accomplish it. Try to seek out the, the qualities in others. And B, find another alternative method with um, loving converts as caring about them. Right? Now, I want to ex- expand that a little bit uh, with another verse in the Torah. Once again, they were, take all these pieces of the puzzle and assemble them together and you know, see what we could develop on this issue. The Torah talks about a uh, Jewish slave. What's a Jewish slave? Uh, it's someone who, uh, it's not quite a slave because it's just a, a maximum of six years of someone steals and doesn't have money to pay for it. So you know, we don't have a chapter 11 and chapter 7. You open cha- up chapter 7 in, in uh, Genesis. There's nothing about the bankruptcy. And, and chapter, about chapter, six, chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 13, none of it. Uh, what it says is, hey, if you steal from someone else, not if you, not, not if you accidentally um, you know, smash their crop, if you steal from someone else, you don't want to pay, well, you got to be sold as a slave. you got you know, you got to go to the restaurant and scrub for six years. No, no, we don't chop off no hands. Now... So the, the, the Torah is talking about slaves, and it's talking about a, I don't want to get into the particulars, but talking about a, a single slave, and I mentioned this in a class uh, once, a single slave, someone who's not married, an untethered slave, a bachelor slave, and it describes him in a very strange manner. It says that if a slave comes with the edge of his clothing, then dot 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 whatever whatever you know whatever it says, but it describes someone as being who's single as someone who comes with the edge of his garment, and seems to be a very strange way to describe someone who's single. How would you describe a single person? Well, someone who has it easy, or someone who has it good, or someone who has it bad, right? Or someone who, you know, who's a, uh, uh, you know, who doesn't have a married file and jointly, right? It's, how would you define someone who's single? Well, he's not married, or either he needs to get married, or maybe he's just like this. The Torah describes him as being someone who comes with the edge of his garment. So what it means is, his life ends where his garment ends. Who does he hear about? Himself. He doesn't have a family. Okay, well, let, me, let me explain the point. The point is, is that when someone is single, now it's not necessarily so, but someone who doesn't have love, some, no one that they love, well, then who do they love? They love themselves. Hence, whatever's inside my share of love, whatever outside I don't love. When someone gets married, the idea is, is that they're going to love someone. Hence, what they care about, what they love, is going to expand. It's not going to be within their shirts, be what's in their shirt and what's in their spouse's shirt, right? They, their, their little cocoon, this little bubble, this little life of self-centeredness is going to be broken and expanded to include other people. Other people now will fall under the, the, the heading of people that I care about, of me, so to speak. It's like to expand. He expands himself. It's not like I love someone and that's just that's our relationship. It's like a relationship. Like this is me, this is them, and I kind of feel them. It's no, no, no. I expand it to include them. Hence, when they get pain, I feel it because it's not because oh, I feel their pain. No, I feel my pain because that's just the way it is. It's they're part of me, so to speak. What was my point? That I was going to say with this. Oh. A slave. A slave. oh, a slave. No, but but this was, I was expanding the point that we learned from a convert. What the convert, the convert's pain, right? We said the convert feels like an outsider. You once felt like an outsider. Feel his pain. That's what it's even really telling us. Feel his pain. Wait, wait, how, how am I supposed to feel someone else's pain? Right. Anyone here saw the, uh, they had a special, a ABC special with the, Magician, anyone saw David Blaine? 
You like magicians? I like magicians. So David Blaine, what he does, he takes two people. Well, he does lots of tricks. He takes two people. He has them close their eyes. He does some shtick with them. And he takes one of them and like, he gives them a zet. He po- pushes them, pokes them like that. And the other person is able to feel it. It's like, you know, and says, okay, open your eyes. Okay, what, what did you feel? He's like, no, you pushed me over here. And like, and we see that he didn't touch him. It's like a telepathic. It's some telepathic. Yeah. He does like this to them. But like p- pushes one nose and the other person feels it. And like people go nuts. Like, what? How did that happen? I didn't touch them. How am I supposed to feel someone else's pain? How am I supposed to feel his pain? He got the pain, not me. How am I supposed to feel his pain? The convert. The convert's here. The convert's telling me I'm having such a tough time integrating to the Jewish people. Very painful. Very, very stressful. Very painful. You're supposed to feel his pain. How am I supposed to feel his pain? It's his pain, not my pain. If it was my pain, I would feel it. It's his pain. Now he feels it. Torah is telling us is that if you're going to love him, then you'll feel his pain. Because loving means you're expanding yourself to include someone else. Expansion of oneself to include someone beyond oneself. Hence, what I'm doing is expanding myself to include him as well. I'm taking my shirt and stretching it and putting someone else there. Right? So that's something that we do at, at, when we get married. But it's also something we could do. It's a repeatable process that we could do for other people. And the greater a person is, the bigger a shirt is, so to speak. The more people that he has under his umbrella of who he is. And therefore, when he feel, when they get pain, he feels it. Not because he feels someone else's pain. He can't feel someone else's pain. Rather, because he has pain, but someone else has pain. Because that person is part of who he is as an individual. Their individual is expanded. Huh? Like clones. Well, not clones. It's just expansion of oneself. Now, I want to say another point here. The final point, which I think will be the knockout blow. <laughs> you guys ready for it? Yes, ready. We have a statement to the Talmud. Also, a very famous story in the Talmud. Maybe the most famous. What's the story? A Gentile comes to Hillel and says to him, teach me the Torah standing on one leg. Well, the story starts off, he comes to Shammai, who was Hillel's sparring mate, so to speak. They were colleagues who studied together. And Shammai was a much sharper, much like, he was more, he was more intelligent also. But he was just, he was just, he was like, some guy, some Gentile comes to me and says, teach me all Torah while standing on one foot. Get the heck out of here. What are you driving me crazy? That's what he told him. <laughs> and he comes to Hillel, and Hillel says to him, oh, sure, he wants to say all Torah one leg, right? The Allah sani, sa'avid. What is unto you, hateful, don't do to someone else. Well, you don't let them do someone else. Which, as the commentators point out, is actually a play in the words of love thy neighbor as thyself. Correctly translated, love your fellow as yourself. Doesn't say neighbor, it says fellow. That's one statement in the Talmud. Hillel. We have the statement of Rabbi Yetiva. Right? You love your fellow as yourself. Amar Rabbi Akiva says Rabbi Akiva, Zeh Klal Gadol Torah. This is a great principle in Torah. This is a very important principle in the Torah. So once again, we see the idea of this mitzvah, loving your fellows yourself, being somewhat of a, perhaps a microcosm of the whole Torah. Why is it a microcosm? Because you want to stand, you want to stand on one leg, and you want to hear all of Torah. Well, sure. I'll tell you one thing, which is really all of Torah. It's a microcosm of everything else. Love thy fellows, loving your fellows yourself. That's Hillel. Fast forward 200 years, you have Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, Love your fellow as yourself. This is an important rule in Torah. Once again, there's something fundamental in this mitzvah that is applied elsewhere in the Torah. What about this mitzvah is so special, so crucial, so important, so vital, so pivotal that makes it a microcosm of all of Torah. It makes it this 
this important principle that is needed for all the Torah, in the words of Rav Akiva. What's so special about it? Loving, loving, it's a mitzvah, I see it's a mitzvah. And it's, a, it's important to love everyone. But it's a, but tzitzis is also, where it's a mitzvah, and eating matzah and pesach is also a very important mitzvah. And having a bris milah, having a circumcision, very important mitzvah. That's what makes you a Jew, right? You're part of that fraternity, right? From the, from the first day. And studying Torah, it's a very important mitzvah. Why is, why is the mitzvah of loving your fellow as yourself, why is that the mitzvah used as being a microcosm of the Torah? Good question. Probably from that element, all else becomes true. How's that? How is that? Yeah. You're the teacher. I'm just asking. <laughs> well, you try to propose an answer. <laughs> well, and I agree. I, I, see, when I, when I say how is that, what I'm saying is, you're right. Show me how it works. We didn't get to that point. No, which is like in in like teacher class. Though that means like that's a compliment. How is that? Is a compliment. It's not like uh, what are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? No, because so let's 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 try to figure out. Okay, you love your neighbor as yourself, and then and then that will bring about everything else. How does that work? Well, for me, the easiest way is to look at the reverse, because once you cannot do that, then all other elements will not follow or cannot follow because it's it's the basis for I guess what God teaches. So it's the basis and it's everything else is dependent upon it. Yes. Why? How does that work? Because God it is the nature Well just the way it is. <laughs> okay, so I I agree with what you're saying. I'm going to expand it, maybe say, show how it works and how something that we mentioned at the beginning is indeed a process that we use to achieve love and it's a love-centric activity. But if you use that, you'll end up having that and that and that and that and that and that and that and, that and, that and everything. And that is, we said, Isaac. Rebecca. Isaac sees the quality of Rebecca. Isaac loves her. Repeatable process. Everyone is composed of good and bad qualities. You can choose to either look at the good or look at the bad. You'll either love the person or you'll hate the person. Depending on what you examine, what you spend your time, what you dwell upon. Oh, I understand. I would say Go south afterwards. After eight years, they get divorced because of whatever. Yeah. Oh well, I'm saying, but in America, more than fifty percent of marriages fail, and they fail after seven, eight years on average. So yeah, well, love disappears because they don't follow. Because love is not just something that you get and then you lose. It's something which you need to maintain. How do you maintain it? The same way you got it. How do you get it? By noticing the good. How do you maintain it? By noticing the good. How do you maintain it? By not focusing on the bad. How do you maintain it? By identifying with the good. Always noticing the good in someone will always perpetuate, sustain, nourish that love and ensure that you don't lose it. Well, the person turns evil, or maybe that the the person was always evil, or has an evil element. Like we all have a little little Nazi within ourselves. We all do. Everyone has good and bad. Everyone has good and bad. But um, <coughs> the person turns evil. Funny, but I, I I mean it seriously. Mm-hmm. You could talk yourself into somebody having good qualities and everything when they really don't. Because you're like infatuated or you're... Oh, so that means you made the wrong decision. Right. So you're not right. compatible. That's a different story. That you shouldn't be married to someone you're not compatible to. about marriage situation. Right, but marriage is right. the same thing. But marriage is just a high level of, of love. You be friends with somebody then realize that, that you thought you saw these good qualities. Well, you, no. You, and then you find out the person's like um, a mass something or another. 
Okay, but we're not talking about mass something or another. We're talking about most people. Psychopath. The masses. Yes. Psycho or real. Yeah, psychopaths. Well, well psychopath they had a little dementia or something. Yeah. In. You know. But you, you know, but speaking of that, I, going from where you are, I'm trying to, to keep up, and I'm thinking, in my experience, when you look for the good and you accentuate the good, the other person, and I'm talking as a teacher and as elementary school teacher, reciprocates. When the children know that you're looking for the good and you're stressing that. And and also and also if you go out of your way to show your love to someone else and you show that you're caring for someone else and you empathize with someone else and you do all those things that are connected to love, they'll reciprocate. And that's the way it typically works. Is like I know with marriage is for sure that there's always ups and downs because when it, when it's going up, then each one of them is willing to to compromise a little bit and it just it gets better and better. Why was that? Well, it just, you know, everyone gets accusatory. Everyone says, well, you did this, you do that. Why do you always do this? Why do you always do that? Focusing on the bat and it, that also has a, has a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, in an earlier class, I don't know what it was, the Yeah, I, I, I agree, but I agree. most people are in potholes. They make you very negative exactly. and they take you down. Right. I say, you know, in our society, most people are in potheads and most people are in potholes. It's a good book, Potheads and Potholes. The Torah doesn't say the Torah doesn't say you have to hang around with everyone for hours. The Torah says you have to love them. Doesn't mean you have to spend time with them. No one says that, doesn't mean about spending time. Having a beer with them. You can love someone you don't you don't want to have a beer with or have a drink with or be around because they smell bad. You still love them because they you know that they have qualities and those qualities and maybe in a certain area they have something that you don't even have. I just want something to admire about them. I don't want to hang around them. I'm busy. Right? Don't tell me crazy. You're a pothole. You're a pothead. I'm not interested. Still, I can love them. I'm going to love them also. Because. Really? It's like the word is overused. And maybe it makes you love. I mean, I hear people. of American children grow up without both biological parents. The lowest figure in the the lowest figure in the Western world. The lowest. 
The lowest in the developed what is world. Sixty-three percent. And what is it in the orthodox? Orthodox? What, what does that even mean? What do you mean? Well, you're well, talking about sixty-three percent. I'm saying in America. I'm talking about America. In America. Right. Greater society. In Jewish families, is much better for sure. Jewish Jews have always put uh, put a premium on on, on family and, and family and sure. I just was in a, a place uh, in, uh, from I fell injured myself and it was in a rehab place and I saw for the very first time in my life I saw life that I didn't know that exists. I could, could see this in the movies. I could see this, uh, read about it. But to see people, what Rabbi uh, just said, it's just unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't sleep at night. A young woman of 26 years old, she has six children and each one with another father. And no, no, uh, child, no father. You know, I'm not a naive person, you know. I know that something like that, but to see, to meet them and talk to those people, it was such a terrible cultural shock for me that I wanted to get out from that as soon as I could. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. It's unbelievable. So, baby mama. Yeah. Talking, thinking about that story and getting back to Lily, <clears throat> as well as one of the traits you talk about as far as love, which you talk about vesting or investing in a person. Mm-hmm. If you feel a toxicity, why am I going to even spend them, my perception? Or maybe Lily's also. If you don't have a, a relationship <clears throat> or a requirement, I'm not going to invest to look at the goodness in that person to say, hey, I'm going to give you my neighborly love, my, you know, fellow love. Sorry. I can't love Yeah, I, but I think, I think we, we don't have to focus on those people. We focus on the majority of people that you know are good people or wholesome people that might have some irritating qualities, still find a way to love them. You don't think, hang out with them. But it is a... I didn't even know that something like that exists in such a big numbers. Yeah. But, you know, let's go back to something you said, Barbara, about dysfunction and whatever. Two classes ago, Susan, we all looked around to see whose parents didn't have dysfunction. And almost everyone's did, except for yours and his. Oh, really? Mine? I'm telling you, all come from dysfunction. We don't have to be in a way that, you know, we're a all the time. We treat people with respect. Mm-hmm. We avoid people that show this type of toxicity. We treat them with respect, too. It's not like we don't treat them with respect. But what you're talking about is really deeper. It is really deeper. And it's when it's... It's like it's, it's, yeah. yeah. Well, and again, this is the that's what we're aiming for. This is the best side of the whole story. Love, love is a scene. I think it's tragic, you know. Since I started the classes, you know, I, I, I'm in two different worlds, you know. I come here, I hear things that I would love to <laughs> change in my life, but I can't because the rest is not ready. All you can do is your little. Yeah, you can change other people, and you know you're a you alone are responsible for your. Well, that's my that's my bit. So I didn't dig into any acronyms. Um, but I wanted to just take a time to look at what the Torah says about love. Love yeah. is a very much a misunderstood terminology. We know there's infatuation, there's lust, those things are meant to do with love. Um, we did find instances the Torah says about love, love a convert, empathize with them, right? love love your fellow, right? Notice the good in them, 
And these themes, I think, should accompany us in the continuing discussion that we have about love and relationships. We should know the Torah gives us these commandments, and they're commandments because, yes, there is a process that goes about creating love, but also that process, would you would only need to do to maintain that love is to follow that same process. And, uh, and therefore, the Torah can uh, indeed demand of us to love because the Torah is telling us to do the process. What about with and, it, and it's repeatable process. The love of Hashem, which we didn't talk oh, about. Oh, love of love of Hashem. That's the third thing. How do you love love of Hashem? Also, the the, the uh, thank you for bringing us back to that. And that is the um, the Sifri, which is Sifri is a think of a, a Mishnaic era uh, Jewish sources. It says, "How do you love God?" It says the way to love God is study Torah and to study the wisdom of God. And you study the wisdom of God, you see how awesome it is and how amazing it is. You'll love God. Which I want to say kind of mirrors the way you love other people. Mm-hmm. How do you love how do you get to love other people? You notice how good they are. How do you love, love God? You notice how good he is. Hey, look, look, look at the good he is to me as an individual. Forget about the Torah. What does God do for me on a daily basis? Well, I breathe about nineteen thousand times a day. I don't I don't like do it consciously, it's just the Almighty making me breathe. Because it just makes it like that. He loves me. I'm how my liver works and my heart my heart beats 108,000 times a day. You know, it's all a gift from God because he loves me. Right? And he does this for me because he's he's good. If I think about that, I love him. Similarly, if I think about what God if I, if I think about what God does uh good for me, I love him. I think about what a person does good, their qualities, what's good about them, and I love them as well. So we have a little bit of a process, a little bit of an idea. And I want to thank you all for coming. I love you guys. Thank you. And yeah, let's do this again sometime. Let's make a petition. A yes. You know how you said right at the beginning how all religions have stolen from us. Yes. Well, not all religions, but, primarily Christians. But, but what I was going to say is, does the Quran have anything of a similar nature? The Quran steals all the stuff. Yeah, um, but I'm just wondering yeah. because they just want to go out and kill you. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think if you're that you're not them. You're nothing. That's true. So that's why I'm just wondering if they have anything. Uh, I'm sure they do. I know they have. They have some like social welfare, like mitzvahs, quote unquotes. Uh, they have some stuff. It's not quite like what we have, of course. Nothing like what we have. All knockoffs, you know. You get the knockoff Gucci's. It, it might look really nice, but it's not. It's not the same thing. Yeah, so they have some mitzvahs and some some some, some commandments which they stole from us, uh, modified a little bit. You know, like we say, I have to give ten percent of your money to charity. They say two and a half is enough. No, but this one, this one about um, loving your fellow man. I don't know. I'm, I don't. Not that I know. I'm not an expert in Quran. Because I would think not. Uh, yes. Well, I, I don't know. 